The following episode was recorded live on YouTube for Adulting.TV Live. Welcome to Adulting, a podcast where we want to adult every day. Download episodes at Adulting.TV. Welcome to Adulting.TV Live. I am Harlan Landis. I'm here with Miranda Marquette. How are you, Miranda? I'm doing well. How are you? Oh, I'm fantastic, and I'm excited to talk to our guest today, Justin Taylor from Saving Sherpa. Justin, how are you? Doing pretty good. Great. Tell us a little bit about Saving Sherpa. So the idea behind Saving Sherpa actually started because after I got out of college, I finally started learning about finance and investing, and I realized that retiring early was actually something I could reasonably do. But then I thought about it. And I was like, well, you know, I'll be on the beach, but nobody will be next to me. So how do I get my buddies involved in this and get them, you know, give them something they can read that's uh, coming from something from a standpoint that they would feel comfortable with that they could follow along with and hopefully get them going down that same path to, to early retirement. Just give people a, a very realistic kind of example they could follow. Nothing too crazy. What's uh, something cool that you found out about once you started writing Saving Sherpa? I wouldn't necessarily call it cool, but I guess I realized the, you know, it seems simple, right? When you start thinking about writing and and blogging, all that stuff, and you realize how much kind of goes into editing things and making it look better appearance wise. And also just, I guess, how many people aren't comfortable with showing a lot of times as much detail as I'm cool with showing. So I'm trying to kind of push that to make people more comfortable talking about money. But even in this realm some people are still not comfortable with saying like how much they make or how much they're worth and that sort of thing i mean it's getting better and there are some but it was interesting to see that people who talk about finances are still a little shy about their finances you share all of that i was just gonna say i don't i mean i'll talk about my strategies and i'll talk about what i do and sometimes i'll talk about how much i saved but like i have never been that income report person for a lot of reasons part of it's tax and legal reasons and then part of it's like i really just don't want my family members and friends to know how much i make (laughs) so part of the interesting thing about being in the military is um, you can get an app on your phone. You can go, you can look up military like pay calculator on your phone and you can type in the zip code, how many years of service, yada, yada. And I can tell you exactly what anyone in the military makes. It's public record already. Um, now, as far as my net worth, obviously, that's something that I decided to divulge. And I did recently kind of change the way I present it because I got some feedback that it could be a little bit of a turnoff as the net worth starts growing that people could see as intimidating. And so I changed it to more of a percent based, what I would call like percentage towards retirement instead of an actual cash value. But I still don't mind talking about it. That's something new I'm trying. So what is your military experience? So I did ROTC at Mississippi State University for Air Force ROTC. Actually, I did five years there because I did an engineering degree and they allow you to do five years. The way that all kind of started is I had a couple of buddies decided to go do a, they call it the ROTC, like their high school scholarship um, interview. So basically you go to this interview, if you get picked up, they pay for your tuition for four years, your books, they give you a stipend. And they had a deal worked out with that university where they would also pay for your room and board. I had no intentions of going to the military because my assumption was that you got paid like 12 bucks an hour to knock down doors in Iraq. And that's not what I was wanting to do. But I went ahead and I did the interview. I had long hair. I was overweight. 
but I think they liked the idea that I wanted to be an engineer. So I ended up getting a scholarship and I assumed that everyone got the scholarship. That's not true. Only about, I think it was about six out of the 60 of us in the incoming class, like 10% was getting their college paid for. All the rest of the people were just, just doing it in the hopes of getting that job. And I was told that I could do one year, not owe any money back as long as I didn't start my second year. So I honestly was just going to go and take their money for a year and then never, never actually joined. But the later I, the more I stayed with it, the, the more I liked it. And then um, I commissioned in 2013 as a second lieutenant. My first duty station was in Colorado Springs. I was testing radars. Now I've been in Boston for about 10 months doing more IT type engineering. What did you like about it after that first year? It was kind of twofold. I mean, one was, um, you're looking at like 2009, right? The economy has just crashed. I'm seeing my friends who are not able to find jobs. And so that job security, but also when I started realizing how much responsibility you get right off the bat. So I had been working for maybe six months, four, six months, and I got to be the project manager for a multi-million dollar you know, upgrade, which is not something that most people straight out of college are going to get. They're going to have to work their way up the ladder at least with the Air Force as officers, they really let us um, dive in and, and be managers over these really big programs right off the way. So the experience, just knowing what kind of experience I could get day one was a was a huge plus. Yeah. And since you're involved with the Air Force, uh, there's a lot of people who have an impression that the Air Force is just about pilots, but it's more than that. Oh, yeah. I mean, I I don't know what the statistic is off the top of my head. I probably should, but... It might be 1% fly. I'm not even sure, you know, like it maybe. The Air Force is also so big on, you know, cyber or space. There's so many other sections. And then you've got all the support, the logistics and the development. So I'm in acquisition. So basically anything that involves upgrading something, developing something that's new, or even just like lab type work where you're just experimenting with stuff. That's kind of my side of the career field. So. The stuff we do, you know, I would like to think helps those pilots, but it's um, most of the time stuff that goes on well, well before that plane's ready to fly. What are some of the things that you have learned through your service that have helped you get a better understanding of how things function in the real world as an adult? The goods and bads of the of the military, things are pretty structured for you. So they kind of they kind of help you along the way, but things are also pretty busy. So that time management aspect and uh, the other thing is you, like I said, where they put you in that, I guess, a lot of responsibility right off the bat. You kind of have to grow up quick and realize that, get that confidence about yourself and know that you can take on these projects and that that's, that's what they pay you for, right? That's what they sent you to college for and to not look at yourself as just a kid anymore and understand that you are capable of, of leading people and you're capable of leading these projects you may have someone who's twice your age working for you and that's okay. Like to just be kind of comfortable, comfortable with that position. One of the things you mentioned is structure. What, what is a military structure like and how do you apply that to your civilian life? Well, the structure is, I mean, sometimes there's too much structure, you know, there's like a form for everything. They love their paperwork, but obviously I think everyone knows that these people in the military, they like to be punctual. You know, you have, you have to really be good at setting certain time aside for certain things and how to manage your time. It also really teaches you quickly how to um, delegate. Now, 
obviously the, the younger you are, I mean, I'm still pretty early in my career, the less you get to delegate, but you still have contractors working for you. And so you have to learn that you're not only time management, what you do with your time, but to understand what activities require your time and what activities that you can push off to someone else. Obviously, like in the workplace, I mean, you can't push everything in your personal life off to someone else, but prioritizing what you spend your time on. And then when you are spending time on something, figuring out how to line that all up in the day and make it work. And how does the military teach you to do that? Part of it is just like, you just have to, because they give you more work than you can possibly do. So you have to learn to lean on those contractors and hand that out. And the same thing with like your schedule. If you, if you don't get good at that time management, you're just going to get, you're going to get left behind and you're going to give off that bad look. And then that affects your career, obviously anyone's career, right? If, if your performance falters, it just, I think it's just kind of throwing you in, in the deep end and having a lot of work to do with only the, you know, the 10 hour day. So you just kind of have to figure it out. Now, I mean, obviously I have good mentors and stuff, but I would just say that the military does that um, really good because they put you in those big positions right away. What are some of the consequences if you aren't able to keep up? So that that definitely happens. I mean, a lot of us are, um, you know, we're very confident and we, you know, we believe that we can do everything. And so you'll get burned by that. I mean, you'll try to take on too much and you'll just see products will kind of come out a little sloppy or you'll miss something or um, it's, yeah, it's very easy to sign yourself up for too many things. There's a difference between taking on all you can until then we break that point of where the work that you're putting out is actually degraded because you've taken on too much stuff. And so you definitely have to be cognizant of, of where that line is for yourself. I mean, definitely push yourself, but there's a point where your work is going to be, you know, not as polished because you have spread yourself too thin. And how much independence do you have? Are you just really following orders when it comes to projects that you work on? Or are you given the opportunity to design your work schedule, design the projects, design the projects that you take? Or does it just get you know filtered on through the, uh, the chain of command? So I'll say that your end goals and like the projects that you're going to take on is not so much your call. But how you get there, at least in the Air Force, at least as officers, um, which is... For anybody who listens, like there is an obvious difference between if you're enlisted in the Army versus being an officer in the Air Force. There are differences. And so I'm just going to speak to my experience. But how you get to those, how you finish those projects and how you accomplish those, they actually do give us a, a lot of leeway. That's something they're pushing is really trying to delegate things down lower because the lower you can delegate things, the faster you can get things done. But, you know, the the less bureaucracy you have, the fewer layers you have, the quicker you can react to things. So they're, they're really pushing that to, to give us that flexibility. You mentioned uh, mentors. Do you, have a, do you have a mentor? Is there someone specific? Uh, yeah, one of my, say one of my ROTC instructors I've stayed really close with. Um, and then I just happen to have a few guys, uh, you know, two or three guys that, in the workplace who've, who've really took me on. And because there's different parts of your career. I mean, there's your your actual job. And then there's the stuff like taking care of your career and making sure, you know, that all your records are correct and making sure you understand timelines. And I mean, the military career is just a lot different than a normal civilian career. There's a lot more going on than just your day-to-day job. I mean, you got to worry about, you know, all these different schools you get into, not like your master's degree, but like the military has, you know, actual schools that you can go to as a major and you can go to as a Lieutenant Colonel. So like trying to get into those really helps your career Try to make sure you've gotten the right experience along the way through your earlier ranks so that you are uh, more marketable at those higher ranks. 
just a lot of different kind of career move stuff that there's no way to learn other than really finding somebody who's been through that. So what are some of the financial things that you've learned from being in the military? So, um, you know, what are kind of the the financial lessons that you learn? And because I, I find this interesting, especially from the standpoint of in our community, specifically the FinCon community, there are so many military veterans running around. Um, and I, I could probably sit here and name more than 10 right offhand. So there's got to be something there either you know, people are struggling in the military and so they're kind of gravitating toward this or you learn some valuable lessons that help you to be a better man- money manager or maybe, I don't know, maybe it's a combination of the two. But what are some of the lessons that you've learned in, from being in the military? So I would say part of it would be like what got me to, you know, what pushed me to get into finance was, I mean, you got to think even in the, so in the military, even though like for me as an Air Force officer, I realistically will maybe deploy once. I mean, maybe twice, but it's not like a big part of my career the way it is some ranks and some services. So even though I don't deploy a lot, I'm constantly, you know, every three years or so, sometimes sooner, you're moved to a different part of the country and you normally don't really have a ton of say in where that is. So you're separated from like everyone you know. That pushed me to, because, you know, I know that I'm already going to definitely have this big chunk of my life where I'm geographically separated and I miss a lot of moments. And so figuring out how to get financially independent so that I could take control, live wherever I want to live and have my own time and not miss those important moments was a big thing that pushed me to get into the space of finance. I mean, there's definitely some military specific finance things as far as, you know, the way our finances work. But as far as what made me get into finance, that's honestly what it was is the fact that I knew like, okay, you know, my family lives in Mississippi. I'm in Colorado, Boston. I'll probably do a stint in LA, you know, maybe Ohio. There is no Air Force base that has a job for me in the state of Mississippi. So I know I'm not going to be close to my family during my working career. So that's kind of what pushed me. Has some of your military training helped you with your own personal finances? I don't know that necessarily the military training has. Um, you know, I've learned to definitely work some of the aspects of our, um, what's different about our military career into positive financial things. For instance, like when we travel, some businesses do, you know, where you just comp everything, right? You keep up with receipts. Well, the military does a per diem basis where, you know, say it's 50 bucks a day for your like meals and incidentals and stuff. If you don't spend the $50, you get to keep it, right? So, you know, I'm really good about spending basically none of it. And so I say, you know, save all that money and that money's tax free. Where you live, uh, your pay is different based on the zip code. And that part of your check is tax free. And so there's, for instance, like Boston is a, is very good financially for me um, because it's a very high cost of living area, but I have a really cheap apartment and I get to keep the difference. So there's things about the military's finances that are, that are different that I have kind of studied on and figure out how to work the best for me. How about using some of the time management skills that you learn and how does that help your uh, manage your money and move towards financial independence? I mean, the biggest things I have to do with my time management is because I'm I'm also going full time and getting my master's degree and I'm doing my blog and I'm doing this. And I guess from a, a money aspect, I don't really know how like the time management exactly makes the money any easier, but it, it definitely has helped a lot with the time management with keeping all that, like keeping my grades up, trying to do you know things like this interview and also working full time. 
What are some of the things that someone who has never had any kind of experience with the military can take away from your writing or from what you have to share about your experiences and help them move forward with their finances? Actually, I mean, if you look at my blog, you would probably have other than maybe the one picture on there where I'm wearing like an Air Force T-shirt, like a random T-shirt. There's not really much pointing to the fact that I'm in the military. I've really tried to focus or make sure that my blog is applicable to everyone, not military specific. I've written a couple military specific things for other sites, but what I've tried to set my blog up to do is to to show that, you know, if this kid from Mississippi who did not have a lot of money growing up, did not have a college nest egg, can get through college, have a, you know, okay, it's not a normal job because it's a military, but it's a nine to five job. You know, it's that or whatever, eight to six kind of job. I don't have any weird side streams of income. And if I'm still making like this really rapid progress towards early retirement, then anyone can. Um, so that's that's really my main focus on the blog is to give people someone that they can relate to, someone that doesn't have any kind of extreme circumstances where I was, you know, inherited any money or given any money to start out with, or I don't have like six different streams of income from like real estate properties or other entrepreneurial things. Like it's it's just my regular income. And starting from zero and I'm still making really good progress. Yeah. And that's refreshing too, because there's so much of a push on things like uh, being an entrepreneur and like you said, multiple streams of income. And for a lot of people who read about financial independence, you they might get the impression that that's the only way to go. Yeah. I mean, I, now I save a ton of money, like percentage wise, like I'm very aggressive on that. But other than that, I'm not doing anything that anyone out there couldn't do. I mean, from my investment strategy, as simple as you could possibly get to, again, only the one source of income. Like if you can't follow what, what I'm lobbing up there, then I don't really, you know, I don't know a simpler way of doing it than what I'm doing. Speaking of simple, you mentioned something in the email to me about meal prepping and how perhaps, uh, you know, the way they do things in the military might help you get control of more than just your finances, but some of these daily habits that we need to do. What what do you mean by meal prepping and how, how does that work for you? Well, I, I just mean, and and this doesn't have to have any connection to the to the military per se, but just meal prepping is, you know, I try to start out, again, this goes back to that time management. I can take an hour and I can cook enough food for, you know, four days, whereas it would take me the same amount of time to cook it for that one night. My biggest trick is just, really overload the oven. <laughs> so, I mean, I can cook a giant sheet of chicken breasts, a bunch of sweet potatoes, carrots, Brussels sprouts, big pants all at the same time, same temperature, just throw them in there and watch Netflix. You know, you know, you got, you got some great new shows coming out on Netflix. Just throw that in the oven, go do your thing. You throw some aluminum foil on the bottom and you don't even have to wash the pans. It's beautiful. Yesterday I cooked for four days breakfast lunch and dinner and it took me about an hour so and that's so much cheaper i think i was looking at it and if you spend about eight bucks at lunch versus it cost me about a little over a dollar per meal you're saving around 1700 bucks a year and you're also way more likely to stay within those like health goals if you're if you're cooking food for yourself versus eating out so to me it's just a it's a win-win and people want to say that Oh, it saves them so much time. It's like, I just cooked four days in one hour. Like that's 12 meals in one hour. You're telling me you're going to eat out faster than five minutes per meal. Like, I don't think so. so. Yeah, that's a great point. And I know that's one that I've struggled with, especially recently. <laughs> uh, you know, I've, I've resorted to uh, ordering meal plans. You know, I started 
back at the gym. So now I'm trying to eat healthy. There's this healthy meal delivery service, which is great. It's just expensive, but makes everything so much easier for me. Yeah. I like the meal planning services that you can get. I like those too. But you know, like Harlan says, those things can be rather expensive. So how do you do that? If you feel like you can't plan meals, do you just like bang it out? Do you, are you just like, hey, you put it out there, that military efficiency, and you're just like, I'm going <laughs> to plan this out and, and like do the thing? I mean, <laughs> I mean, I would say over the last four years, I've probably now sometimes you'll have like a, you know, like somebody's birthday, at, like at work or they're like a going away party. But just to go just to grab lunch because I didn't have food, um, you can always keep things that are like backups that if you didn't get to go grocery shopping, for instance, I like the little, um, they're basically like the kielbasa type hot dog things. You know, you can get the turkey ones that are actually pretty healthy. You can keep a pack of those in the freezer. And you normally always have bread on hand. So worst case scenario, you pop some of those in the microwave and you got a hot dog for lunch. Like if, if you just didn't have time to go get groceries, you can keep things in the freezer for those backup days. And then once you get back into your normal rhythm and you're making your meals, you can stock that freezer back up with something else. But I always try to keep something that's not going to go bad that I can use as a backup. Another thing I'm very open with is I'm open with all my spending. I've I've got some friends that I actually send them my spreadsheet every month. And it's not a generic like, oh, this is what I spent on eating out. Like it has the name of the restaurant. It tells you, you know, if I went to bought a case of beer, like that's it's going to be in there. Like it's all very transparent. And the thing that always freaks people out about my spending, because they know that I don't eat out very much, is that on average for the last, since I've been tracking it for almost three years, I average somewhere around 60 or $70 a month on groceries. And that just like freaks people out. Wow. So <laughs> now you said you don't spend a whole lot on groceries, but are there some things that you think are worth spending money on? Like, I mean, there are things that I think are worth spending the money on and I don't necessarily care if I like skimp on them. Are there some things that you like are willing to spend money on a little bit more? Um, definitely experiences, but I focus on the experience part, right? So if, you know, maybe my trip to Mexico, I feel like has just as much experience as yours, but you're spending a lot more money than me. Like, I think that I definitely focus, if there's something I want to do and it's an experience that I feel like is something that's actually going to be memorable and mean something to me, totally down to spend money on that. That's the one area that I feel like it is really okay and really worth it to spend money on. But just, you know, be creative when you look at those trips and try to think about, you know, what is the true end goal when you're going there? Like, what is really, where is that experience really coming from? And what is just noise and what is just extra headache and money and taking time away from the true experience? So you had a trip to Mexico recently? I actually go every year. There's a there's an orphanage down there that we go work with. But I actually I took a little vacation down there in December. So that was the first time I'd been there for like, I guess, pleasure instead of more of work. But um, yeah, I went down there in December. So it's been a while now. It feels like it was recent. So uh, what made that trip uh, worthwhile for you? Oh, it was it was awesome. I did go scuba diving, so that was something that's like a little more expensive. That I was like. There's no way to recreate that. So definitely went scuba diving. Some ways that I made it cheaper is, you know, I fly into, I was going to Cozumel, flying to Cancun instead of Cozumel, just take the bus, hop on the ferry. It adds an extra hour, saves you like 300 bucks. Did that, stayed in a, an Airbnb with, and that's actually how I ended up scuba diving is the Airbnb I was staying in was owned by the guy who was a dive instructor. It was so much cheaper than a hotel. 
but also, and it just like the benefits just kind of kept coming. So he got us a really good deal in the scuba diving. He also, I didn't even know that I could go scuba diving because I thought that you had to be certified. So he let us, let us go scuba diving, let us rent a car from him for a lot cheaper than I could have rented from somewhere else. That was like a new little business thing he was starting. So to see, I sponsor one of the kids down there in Mexico and I got to see her. So that makes, that always makes the trips good. So is this part of the, your, uh, your own YOLO experience or, or is that something else? Which part going to Mexico or the, Mexico, um, yeah, and having fun. There. Oh, oh yeah. That was just a, it was just a fun getaway. I mean, I try to look for warm weather vacations in the winter time. So I love Cosmo. I've been going down there for like five years. And, um, so yeah, it was just a fun trip. And we got to, it was the first time I ever, I had enough time to really explore the island. So when we rented the car that day, got to see the backside of the island, which is completely different and see some of the historical stuff. So there was a point in my life where uh, I wasn't sure what I wanted to do. And my father suggested that I sign up for the Air Force. I didn't at that time. I ended up focusing on my blog and businesses, and that ended up working out fine for me. But is there ever a point in time when someone is out of college and should consider going to the military? So I would... I mean, you know, being in it and seeing it, I would have no problems uh, recommending to anyone to join. You know, if it's at least Air Force officer side, again, I can't speak to everything. But if you have a college degree, then you are eligible to become an Air Force officer up until a certain age. I forget exactly what that is. I think it's like early 30s. There's a thing called officer training school that you have to apply for. Now, it's not super easy to get into by any means. But if you did get into it, again, the experience some of the jobs that you travel to some great locations. The pay is actually way better than most people believe. You have a great pension. You have an awesome health care insurance, which is becoming more and more important. And you instantly like are not instantly, but you will get this group of friends that are all across the country. And so like no matter where you're at, you always have like you always have kind of that other home you can pop into no matter what. It seems like no matter what city you're in, you know someone. But financially, it's it's not a bad move. And the pension is fantastic. And the, the health insurance is great. Is there anything else that you can let our audience know about how the military, at least through your experiences, can help them lead a better life as an adult? You know, obviously, most people are never going to be in the military. And that's fine. I mean, you know, I wouldn't do it for free. Everybody always comes up and tells me, thank you, but I'm not that selfless. I wouldn't do it for free. Um, I love what I do, but I think the things that, that we've talked about today and, and even the things that I've picked up from military, you could pick up from anywhere. For younger people in their jobs, if they are in a job where they're not given that responsibility right away, you know, I think the biggest thing is just keep in mind that just because someone's been there for 10, 15 years doesn't make them any more capable than you. Just try to take those jobs on. And, you know, if you're not handed that responsibility, try to go out there and take it. All right. Fantastic. Uh, Justin, can you uh, let our audience know where they can find you if they want to get in touch with you or see your writing? Yeah. So all the contact information, everything is on the blog. It's saving-sherpa. So it's got the hyphen there, saving-sherpa.com. Also start an experiment with turning the the written posts into an audio version. So I've got the first one done on that. I mean, there's topics ranging from kind of like frugal travel to some thought experiments to how to invest. I've got a budget tool out there that people can download. So I built my own budget tracker through Excel. It's 
completely free. I don't, I don't even have it set up where you have to give me your address, uh, email address, which is probably a bad business move, but it's, uh, there's no ads. It's a very, it's just a straight up resource. You know, it's actually not making me any money. So please go check it out, learn something and let me know if, uh, if you enjoyed it, let me know if something's confusing, but it's savingsherpa.com. All right. Twitter at, on Twitter at saving underscore Sherpa. And I do have a Facebook account as well. But if you Google saving Sherpa, I think you'll find everything. Very cool. Thank you so much for joining us. Remember that you can hop on over to adulting.tv anytime for articles, videos, and more podcast episodes that can help you live a good life. Make sure that you subscribe to us and ask us your questions at adulting.tv slash ask. And until next time, remember to behave like a grown-up. Thank you for listening to Adulting. Find resources for this episode or download other episodes at adulting.tv. Adulting.tv.